Hey there, world. I'm Max. And I'm Charlie. And uh, we're here bringing you uh, Always Right. That's the name of this podcast. And it's also what we both think that we are. And uh, so basically, we're, we're here to solve a problem, world. Okay, and here's the problem, which is... Everywhere that you get your news is personally tailored for you, all right? The internet records what it is you look at, what it is you like, what you're likely to engage at, and shows you more content like that. And so if you go to a more right-leaning website or a more left-leaning website, you won't just see the articles being written differently, different sides. You will also see a fundamental difference in the kinds of content that they bring to the table. And so one of the things we're trying to do here is we're each – so I'm 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 – Liberal. Liberal. And Charlie's conservative. <laughs> and our goal is each week, each of us is going to bring a topic that we have researched without telling the other one. And we're going to be interviewed on it. And the interviewer is not going to debate us. They are just going to try and pull the whole viewpoint apart. Trying trying to make the other one expand on it. Exactly. Uh, we, we don't want it to be... Uh, we will have debates. Yeah, we will uh, have debates. But those will be more of a scheduled thing. And yes, we will know the topic. Special events. Yeah. But yeah, here our goal is to just... Really, really pull apart and expand these ideas for you, the listener. And the, then, the truth is we, we all live within an echo chamber mm -hmm, to some degree. To some degree. And, and whether or not we know it. Um, and so it's important to, uh, to, to see what the other echo chamber is saying. Totally. Right? Um, and, and then you know, he will come with, with uh, what he believes is, is the most important topic for that week. And then I will come with mine. Uh, yeah. Maybe not most important, but, but one you know, that important, is important to us. One that, that is important. Talk about. Yeah. Uh, and... That'll probably be different, and we will probably have extremely different viewpoints on it. Absolutely, and I think one of the reasons that really conversation is so restricted sometimes when two people of different ideas get together is because I personally, when I'm talking to Charlie in more of a debate setting, I'm a lot more guarded. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to give my whole viewpoint because I know that, you know, I don't know everything, and there are weaknesses in my worldview that I'm trying to flesh out, I'm trying to build more, I'm trying to learn more, you know, but this is really just a way for us to expose ourselves. And, uh, and, <laughs> um, we are adults. <laughs> Anyways, um, and, and I give you the listener just, you know, you come here every week, you get to hear what topic I chose and why, and what topic he chose and why. And, uh, well, and we will also, uh, so we plan on posting, uh, Every every Thursday, and then um, every other Friday, we plan on having a guest that uh, that we will interview. It, yeah, it, not necessarily not necessarily political. Someone who's has something interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and. Um... Uh, you know, we're about learning, right? Oh, we love learning. We're, and some of those guests will be really quality and some of them will be last minute, but they're all going to be here. So, they're all going to be very quality. Yeah. Come here. Oh, yeah. Okay. They'll be quality. Fine. Um, but yeah, so, so... so so yeah, so that about sums up the uh, the premise of our show. And uh, you know what? I'm feeling generous today. Um, I'm, oh. feeling, I'm feeling questiony, Ooh. skeptical. Ooh, okay, skeptical. Yeah. So uh, oh. Max, I'll go in and uh, and hand you the, uh, the the metaphorical microphone and let you uh, let you start us off. Well, Charlie, it's an honor, and I have a real doozy of a topic for you today. So the other night uh, we had the first presidential debate, which was. Hilarious. It was. And during that debate, Trump kept repeating all this stuff about the rivers overflowing with, you know, ballots and how everyone's going to... But, but that's what brought me to my topic right now, is I'm here to talk about mail-in voting and the post office and the things that the Trump administration has done to create problems. And let me be a little more pacific. Listen, it's a global pandemic. Americans, they want to be safe, but it's also important that they have their voices heard. This is a year of 
in many ways, unprecedented voter engagement. All right, If you look at just the number of people registering the vote, the number of people who are trying to vote early, who are trying to mail in their ballots, and what you see is an extremely politically engaged electorate in a way we haven't seen in the past. And I think a lot of it is because of some of the current issues that we're seeing. And I also think like, you know, so what this means is mail-in voting is something that we need. And when Trump says that it is fraud-ridden, which it isn't, um, when Trump says that it is not something we can trust, when he discourages people from doing it, or, you know, tries to resist funding attempts to give the post office the kind of capacity that it needs to make it happen, what he's doing is not just in inhibiting people's ability to vote, which is essential, not just, you know, muting the American people's voice. He's also um, reducing our faith in the electoral process. And that is, that is essential, you know? Like, that is all that stands between us and violent revolution is the confidence by the American people that we vote and that's what chooses what happens. And we've really been slipping on that confidence lately. And I think the president should be working on restoring the, the faith in our electoral system and the integrity of our electoral system rather than undermining it. Okay, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but but you would believe that uh, that voter turnout, for, despite there uh, being, I mean, this being a more political year and people being yeah. more politically uh, involved and engaged, uh, you think that there would be lower voter turnout without mail-in voting because people would be scared to go out and vote because of the pandemic. I definitely think um, I definitely think that there would be, uh, yeah, I think that there are people who so a few so cut all that out. Okay, that was not a gotcha. That was a No, gotcha. it wasn't a question. I just realized I kept thinking of rephrasing. I'm trying to be concise and that's adding stress to my whole thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, you should try to be concise, but yeah. That, yeah. that was a me. No, no, no. I yeah. No, that's yeah. a great question. And by the way, while we're talking about it, Feel free to confront me with actual cases of, you know, voter fraud and stuff. That's oh, I, okay, good, because I got one. No, yeah, head. say whatever you got, because I've got a response here. Oh, okay, cool. Um, um, so anyways. Don't, uh, I'm terrified of what your response is written down, because yeah. I feel like you're going to toss in as many big words as possible. No, I got and, it. I'm not, it's, it's, just a, it's just a reminder. It's just a, oh, All okay, right, re-ask your question. This was, was just the question? bookmark one to re-get the oh, Okay, good, because I, I slurred my words during that. Yeah, sometimes fine. I drink too much caffeine. Okay, it's fine. Uh, Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you're saying that even though this year has a uh, really high amount of <coughs> political engagement, um, there would be lower voter turnout if there was not for mail-in voting because people are too scared to vote because of the pandemic. Well, or that's some a, people. Well, that's a good question. And the answer is that I don't know. No one really knows because we've never faced a lockdown like this before. But I do know that a lot of people are choosing to mail-in vote. And I think a lot of that is because safety is a priority. And I think when people feel unsafe, I personally... I'm, I, this election is important to me. I would endanger myself in order to vote this year. I would put myself through way more danger than COVID represents, but I shouldn't have to. And one of the key roles of the presidency is, you know, to keep our democracy safe. And I think that it is less about whether or not a significant, like a statistically significant number of people will stay home and more about the fact that they might. And anyways, it is an, it is a, an excessive limit on the ability of people to express their voice. Something that makes it harder, something that should be easy. Okay, uh, so also, uh, when you say that, that, uh, that voter fraud doesn't really exist, yeah. I mean, well, uh, well, okay, well, I forget, I forget your exact words. Ask your I question. Apologize. Uh, but when you down, or, okay. Just, just say what you gotta question. say. Okay. Just say what you gotta Don't say. Don't wanna put words in your mouth, but um, 
So, I mean, in New, in New Jersey, there was a recent local election there, and 20% of the mail-in ballots were, uh, had to be thrown out. Yeah. Um, because, that, because they were uh, whatever. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. And so a few points, Charlie. The first thing is mail-in voting, mail-in ballots are discarded at a greater percentage than a lot of in-person ballots um, because the standards for verification are high. A lot of these things are verified. But it's also worth mentioning that we are seeing some problems with mail-in voting on some of these under-resourced states that are trying to get it set up in time for COVID. And that's one of the reasons why in uh, in Congress, Democrats have pushed for an increase in funding to help that happen safely and securely. Well, in states where we've had mail-in voting for a long time, states like Oregon, for decades, they've had a few dozen cases of voter fraud. You know, and, and the reason is because it's really very preventable if you have case, you know stuff in place to catch it, stuff in place to verify it. But I will also say, when the system finds a fraudulent ballot and throws it away, that is an example of the system working. So what would you say uh, about Democrats around the country pushing to eliminate uh, mail-in voting or voter fraud protections around mail-in voting, um, like the requirements in many states to have a, uh, a witness or a notary there when you sign? Well, Charlie, I'm not here to defend Democrats. I'm here to attack Trump. And I brought up Democrats... <laughs> Oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, well, I brought up Democrats to mention their funding effort because what I see is a lot of people who are talking about how we need more resources, we need more funding. I think I am against, categorically against, cutting before an election. I think if you are cutting security, if you are cutting mail, if you are cutting ballot boxes during an election, I think that's wrong. I oppose it when Republicans do it. I oppose it when Democrats do it. I think that we can't complain when things are under-resourced if we are denying them resources. And for that reason, I'm a little more critical of the Republicans because the Democrats are at least offering, you know, supplies. Okay. Uh, I mean, well, has more it, supplies. Sure. Well, has it been, uh, has it been cuts in funding or has it been a, I mean, they, they were funded for 2020, correct? Yeah. Um, Okay, so it's not cuts in funding. It's well, so here's the thing, is they were funded for 2020. I mean, every single budget is is proposed by the government, and then, you know, you know, they have a whole budgetary process. I'm not here to explain it to you, but I'm, we might get there someday. But there is a budgetary process, and they were funded through 2020. But when we did that funding, we didn't realize what this crisis was going to be. We didn't realize what COVID was going to do to our economy, to our people. It's it's an unusual time. And when the state governments and, and the representatives of local counties and states are pushing for more resources and saying in this extreme time to preserve the integrity of this election we need a little bit of extra resources i think i think trump knows that we need more resources that's why he's implementing the budget cuts in the post office because they don't have enough resources to do what they're doing um but my point is i think that I think that it was an unusual time we approved the budget. I think what we have right now is an opportunity to expand that funding. I think it's really disappointing that uh, Trump has chosen not to, and I'd like to see him do so. Well, all right. Uh, so, Max, uh, I guess uh, I guess that's enough of what you have to say. So, Ouch. Uh, <laughs> so, so do you uh, do you want to conclude? Yeah, yeah. I'll go ahead and conclude. So, here's kind of my basic viewpoint. Here is during an election, we should be doing everything we can to make it easy for people to vote. Like the power to decide what our government looks like should rest in the hands of the people. And when the government is restricting things and deciding, you know, who should be able to vote or like, you know, all these restrictions on voting, that 
Every single restriction on voting issued by the government, everything that makes it a little harder, shifts the balance of power away from the people and towards the government just a little bit more. And I think, you know, it's a crisis. I think anything that is cutting should be cut. I think we should figure out what it costs to do this right, to do this well, to do it safely, and spend that amount of money. Nothing is more important than the integrity of our election. Yeah, so that's uh, that's my topic, Charlie. And I know you brought something for us, too, and I'm excited. I'm excited to hear it. Well, uh, I mean, the topic was supposed to be a surprise. Oh, so, uh, well, uh, I don't want to ruin the surprise, then. I guess, yeah. should we just close No, 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 no. I, okay. I'm going to ruin... Well, I mean, that's not how surprises work. I don't know. I don't know how surprises work. The surprise happens when I tell you... You know what? Well, then why don't you just... So everything is a surprise. You can't ruin a surprise, is what I just realized. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, well then, hit me with the surprise. What, uh, what's the topic? All right, I'll go ahead and ruin this surprise for you. Uh, uh, so I, I, I would like to talk about the, uh, the fact that I believe it is time to reopen the country fully and has been so for a while. Okay. Uh, I know that the original goal of flattening the curve, uh, it was originally 15 days to flatten the curve, and uh, it, it was honestly really, really fun to celebrate um, the half-year anniversary of, of when it was 15 days to flatten the curve. Was it fun? Curve. Yeah, it was what fun. What did you do for it? Uh, I cried because my life has gotten boring. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's when your life is this boring, even crying becomes fun. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, misery can be exciting. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, but, um, so the point of flattening the curve was to not overwhelm the, uh, the healthcare system. And right now, the IHME estimates state that even at the, even at the worst estimates, if we lift all anti-COVID measures, uh, we will not overwhelm the healthcare system. And so, you know, if that's the case, well then, boom, bada, bing, let's, let's open up. Okay, so you say that it's time. When did it become time, in your opinion? How long should we have stayed closed? Okay. So uh, it's hard to, um, to say what we should have done uh, at, at that time because we only had a certain amount of information at that time, right? Uh, the original, I, or the IME uh, estimates from back then, or IHME, it's, it's tough to say, from back then... Uh, did predict that we were going to overwhelm the healthcare system. And so you have to constantly be working with the best information you, you have at the moment. But right now, our information is telling us that it's not going to happen and it's not going to come close. And it's telling us that, uh, that the infection fatality rate of COVID is way lower than we originally estimated. Uh, it's, the CDC was saying 0.26% in, in mid-June and has since re reduced it. Uh, they're not giving an overall estimate anymore, but what they are giving is age-based estimates. And they're basing it uh, off of the original uh, infections in Europe. And since then, uh, our, our treatments have gotten way better. Um, we have corticosteroids. There we go. We have corticosteroids that uh, are estimated to cut mortality rate one third in patients that are on ventilators. Mm. Um, which, I mean, if you're on a ventilator, it's, it's not looking good, yeah. right? So, so it's like it, it cuts, uh, cuts it by one third in, in the patients that are most likely to die. Also, uh, the, the antiviral drug Remdesivir has been shown to reduce the, the risk of death for severely sick uh, COVID-19 patients by 62%. So, and, and these are all, I mean, these are new treatments that came out since, uh, since the, the numbers for this uh, fatality. Rate. Okay, that's so that's really interesting. Um, but there are a few new factors that ha we haven't seen yet. So, for example, we're going into winter. This is going to be our first winter with COVID. Also, we're going into flu season. I just got my flu shot. Everyone else listening should as well. Charlie, 
You should too. Uh, so we don't know how COVID interacts with the flu. We don't know how COVID reacts in the winter. We don't know. There's still a lot we don't know. And so, like, if you had been making this case to me, I think towards early or midsummer, I think it would have been a really interesting case. But I'm really, I'm curious to see, do you think that there comes a point where the unknown factors could pile up enough that you would, like, what would it take, I guess, for you to change your mind? Well, the issue is that the factors are unknown. We don't yeah. know them. So why would we why would we change something based off of an unknown? Yeah. Uh, when we believe something is going to happen, when our best evidence is saying that it's going to overwhelm the healthcare system, that's a much better case for locking down than yeah. saying it's not going to overwhelm the healthcare system. But you know, some stuff might happen. Yeah. Uh, some we could have had. I mean, we could have said it in January. Hey, there might be a pandemic this year. We should lock down hey. because things might happen. But but. We only have the information we have, right? And you can't you can't uh, make people suffer by by uh, by instituting a lockdown um, based off of a bunch of unknown factors. Okay, so um, so that makes sense. But there's something that I really want to come back to you that you mentioned earlier. So you mentioned kind of the addiction issue. You mentioned the you know the abuse issue. Like I'm interested in. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the like? Has there been a significant cost and yeah, so uh, there is a human cost of lockdowns. Um, it's estimated there's going to be an additional 40,000 deaths this year de- domestically from suicides and drug overdoses, along with another 2 million people addicted to drugs. Uh, globally, it's estimated that um, that the amount of people starving is going to double to 265 million people by the end of the year as a result of damage to the economy that uh, from the lockdowns. Um, it feels like people just... Do single variable analysis say uh, COVID-19 is bad. It'll kill people. We need to do everything we can to not die from COVID-19. Not to reduce reduce deaths, but to not not have people die from COVID-19. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, I guess kind of a final question. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit of a tangent, I guess, but I'm just interested in, in picking your brain for this. Let's say that, you know, the president and Congress and everyone hears what you're saying right now because, you know, everyone listens to this podcast um, um, and and they decide, OK, we're we're going to close down and, and we're going to reopen in two weeks. The whole country. All right. And um, they come to you and they say, Charlie, what should we do for these next two weeks? What final steps should we do to prepare as best we can and to ensure a safe transition into reopening? What would you how would you use those two weeks? So what I would tell them, uh, what I would tell the federal government is. Uh, I, I, I guess you, you have two weeks. You should think of a really good excuse for why you decided to wait two weeks. Wow. So you think like tomorrow. Yeah, I think tomorrow. Wow. I, think, I think people need to, uh, to, to, to take safety measures into their own hands. Um, you, you take the risks you're willing to take. Um, and, and that's that. I mean, a socially distance, uh, wear a mask, be smart about it. But I mean, people need to be going back to work and people need to be making money for their families. Well, I think that uh, so here's one here's one issue that I have with that is uh, you say bring it into your hands, but one of the things that lockdown does allow is for low income people um, to like a lot of people don't have a choice, you know, like if work calls them in, you know, they gotta go, and um, so they don't really get to choose the level of risk they're exposing themselves to. So when you reopen, what you're really saying is you're choosing their level of risk for them. Is that well? well no, I mean these. Anyone's always willing to or is always able to quit their job whenever they want. And uh, most of those people are already being forced to go to work. A lot of low income jobs, 
low-income jobs are being forced to go to work because they uh, are considered essential workers. I mean, go go to HEB or Walmart. There are people working there because they're uh, considered essential employees. And also, I mean, there have been uh, there have been stimulus payments. Uh, unemployment uh, payments have raised by, I believe, six hundred dollars monthly. Um, I feel like that's a, that's really just an example for how cruel it is that we're forcing essential workers to go to work uh, while paying other people who aren't working. You know, we're, we're, we're forcing these people uh, who, who are deciding to stick with their job when they could quit their job, probably make more money off the uh, higher unemployment payments um, and uh, stimulus payments. Uh, and and they're, they're the ones who are risking getting sick and everyone else is at home. Yeah, okay. So, um, so I guess here's my well, final question, I guess. So... Would you support – so one of my reasoning questions had a little bit of an oversimplification because we know that the – obviously lockdown orders are coming from state-level governments and not federal yeah. governments. Uh, I saw the look in your face when I, when I said that. <laughs> I, I wasn't – yeah. Uh, but it's what gave me the idea for my next question, which is um, – so again, federal government's coming to you. Would you support them forcing states to reopen or would no. you – so you'd leave it to the states. You just would recommend to the state government that they reopen. Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, I no, I, I absolutely, I don't think the federal. Well, I guess the federal government could have that power, um, because seems to me lately well, well, they I, have well, whatever power they want. I mean, yeah, well, they would have that. So because the the necessary and proper clause uh, says that, uh, let's have, not get into a okay, constitutional okay. philosophy conversation. Sorry, because <laughs> um, um, if it has a significant effect on interstate commerce, and that would. Oh uh, yeah, I guess that would. That's, um, Okay, so new question, um, final question. But uh, I still wouldn't support the federal government doing that. I'm actually out of questions. So In fact, I'm mainly just pro, ex extremely passionately pro Texas being open because I live here. Okay, and so then moderately passionately everywhere else. Yeah. So that's the last question that I had. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I. Really... <laughs> so do you want to uh, you want to you want to wrap us up? Call us a burrito. Yeah. So I mean. I don't need to have a, a long summary uh, like other people on this podcast. Ouch. I just, I, I believe that the, uh, the original goal was explicitly, uh, of the lockdowns, was explicitly to, uh, to prevent a healthcare system from being overwhelmed. Now we know that's not going to happen. Um, so, so why are we still locked down? Why are people still suffering? The answer is no good reason. There you go. Uh, we know that you are way less likely to die. It's way less of a severe uh, virus than we originally thought. I'm not saying it's not a severe virus, but all of the original information we had was incorrect. So, uh, so yeah, I believe it's time to open up federally and globally, but especially locally. I was going to say Texas, but I had to rhyme. Well, so. yeah, Texas is so big, it's hardly local. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, uh, yeah, that about finishes kind of our... Um... Kind of our standard segments, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's let's launch into the other thing that we wanted to talk about, which is this debate. Charlie, you wanna you wanna crack us open? Uh, well, call us an egg. So uh, I'll go ahead and call us an egg, and uh, let's get cracking. Um, so so what I really liked about the debate was how efficient it was. What we had was we had an hour and a half long debate. But we got three hours of typical debate content oh, because yeah. both debaters were talking the entire time. I mean, four and a half hours, really, if you add in Chris Wallace. <laughs> uh, so, so what we really need to do is take the audio from each microphone and then just listen to it consecutively to really figure out what everyone said. You absolute genius. Here was my here was here was I think my highlight of the debate. I think uh, you know I think one of those quotes I'm going to tell my grandkids was when the president of the United States turned to his opponent and said. You're number two, which I can only assume was a poop joke. 
Uh, um, um, I think that. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I'm trying to think of a way to word exactly how I feel about it. I feel Number extremely, <laughs> extremely. It made me very. I was very entertained by that comment. Uh, probably not the the best thing um, to be an American discourse, but yeah, it yeah. was really, really, really funny. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. I just. I just. I don't know. I just, I feel like what I came to realize last night is how Donald Trump made it so far in reality TV. Like, even his are reactions. You, he's always, like, pursing his lips or, like, or like he just randomly do, like, a Bernie. Like, as soon as, okay. like, Biden takes a breath, he wow. slips a little Bernie in there. I had the exact... Wait, did you say how did he make it? I, I felt... No, 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 I no, no, I mean... I saw how he did. Oh, okay. No, that's what I meant. Is okay. I feel like he really, he really showed off his credentials he as a reality is, TV star. Yeah. I, I, he, he is an entertaining man. In just an entertaining man. Uh, you know what I want? You know what I want? Yeah. I think when his presidency is all up, which I hope is very soon. Um, well. Uh, when his presidency is up, let's get this guy in Big Brother. I would actually watch Big Brother if he was on it. Are you joking? Let's get him on The Violence. Let, well, well, that I, might be a... The thing that is, might be... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's he's not... He he doesn't fit the general Love Island. Yeah. <laughs> and now Love Island is the reality TV show Charlie and I do watch. In uh, fact, we know... Big what, Brother I, is the show we see the end of when we wait for Love Island to come on. Um, which... Okay. If you watch that show... Um, Go ahead and just change your entire daily schedule just one hour later. Yeah. And now your life is better because you'll be watching Love Island. Yeah. Uh, Big Brother, it's just... It's just like, what? Why? I, Who cares? We're not fans. Yeah, uh, we're not fans. But I will say, on, on kind of the Love Island situation, are we going to talk about the fact that Johnny literally... What? He paid $50,000 for a kiss, basically. But you know what? That's not what this is about. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> we're not going to talk about this. We'll we're do gonna, it next week. We'll, we'll do it next week. <laughs> We'll do it on Beavice. We actually have another podcast called Beavice, B-V-I-C-E. And uh, find us over there and we're going to upload We're going to talk about Love Island. We're going to talk about Love Island. Uh, but what here, are we we'll talking say, about? here we're talking about the other reality TV show of the week, which is the, 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 the debate. The presidential, the, the presidential debate. debate. And I will say that, that whether you think that debate was hilarious or horrifying depends on if you really, truly accept that it is the... Uh, most powerful countries in the uh, country in the world uh, deciding its deciding leader. its leader. Yeah, you know, I think one of my top moments. I don't remember exactly what he said, but there was some moment where the camera pans to uh, to Chris Wallace. He said something like, "All right, let's get this back on track." And I was like, "This man just he wants to die. Like yeah. he hates this well, he, so much." Like, he sat at, he, he had an interview uh, the next day about the debate uh, about the debate. I believe it was with the New York Times. Yeah. I, I don't remember, but uh, y'all just look it up. Um, and he said, "Quote: I'm just sad." Oh, <laughs> dude! I remember I was I was literally I was on my feet, out of my chair, yelling. And Charlie's sitting next to me. He goes, "Max, this is just the first ten minutes. Like yeah. that's that's what our night was like. Yeah. It was incredible. It was a great night. It, we had um, tortellini. Um, yeah, you just you gotta emotionally distance yourself from the ramifications of what's happening. Exactly. But I just oh my god. And I, there's been a lot of criticism about Chris Wallace. And and here's what I'll say about this. I do think his questions weren't the best. In fact, I dare say they were bad. But with that said, I I, I can't possibly uh, critique like how he conducted himself there because how could you like how would you conduct yourself yeah, and in that also, situation with answers this bad? Who needs who needs good questions? You know what I mean? Like some of these answers were just terrible. Sometimes he'd say a question and I thought, oh, that's a softball. You know, this is going to be an easy one. And then the answer 
would like be terrible. But I think the thing that really frustrated me the most of the whole night, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm reluctantly a Biden guy. You know what I mean? And just sitting there and, and they're, they're, you know, Biden starts to interrupt a little bit. You know what I mean? And then Chris Wall says, hey, hey. And then he just gets this little meek little nod out of Biden. He sits back into this chair because he realizes he's broken the rules. Like, step it up. You know what I mean? Like, Biden, don't let, don't let yourself be the only one who could be moderated out there. If he's going to shout, you shout. Ditch all your debate coaches. Get some voice lessons, all right? Strengthen your diaphragm, okay? <laughs> yeah, strengthen your diaphragm. Strengthen your diaphragm. Um, I, I, ah, man, I, I think, honestly, if Trump just... Uh, if Trump had just let Biden talk more and actually answer a question, like actually fully be able to answer a question, I think it would have gone better because I don't think Biden would have answered the questions that well. But it... Oh, so man, this is my uh, this is my favorite thing is is it was last, last watch, night's debate it reminded me of was it last Avatar night? the uh, the blue people movie and the reason it reminded me of that is because I watched it and I know everyone else watched it but no one can actually tell me anything substantive about it like Charlie what policy did either of them advocate for in that entire debate wow I was taking that as a question about the movie Avatar. I thought you were going to say what policy did the... Why, why would I ask about Avatar? I don't remember anything about Avatar. For ten years it was the highest... I guess, I guess that was the No one knows anything question. about Avatar. Uh, okay, what was your question? <laughs> oh, what were their stances on that debate? Yeah, like a high-budget fern gully. Um, so, that's exactly what it was. It was so, so, so Trump's... I mean, Trump's positions uh, were that he was mad at Chris Wallace and Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden's position was that he's old, and Chris Wallace's position was that he's he so was done. questioning his career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that about settles it. Um, yeah. So uh, you can find us. You know, you can find us. Uh, this music that you're hearing, this is Marcus Clay. Oh, are we still? Yeah, yeah we're okay, still going to use it. Why not? I mean, I, I was looking. I, he's he's our guy. He's our guy. Yep. So, uh, and we want him to be your guy. That's M-I-R-C-U-S space. K-L-E-Y. That's his name. Find him. Uh, find him wherever you find him. Find him wherever you find him. And, and music. All right. We love you, world. Love you. Ta-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-